I think in the venue industry in general, when you start a wedding venue, a lot of it is built on a foundation of faith and trust and like you're doing the right thing and you just have to like take a deep breath sometimes and be like, it's gonna be okay. Like it's gonna work and like all the pieces will fall together. Yeah, it was hard, it was challenging. And I remember laying in bed at night and having that that sinking feeling in my stomach. It's like, what if no one likes my venue or what if nobody books it or what if my prices are too high or what if I'm too far away from the city or all these things that were going through my mind. But my goal, my first year open was to do 30 weddings and we did 118 weddings our first year open. So I would say I was a little bit wrong. Blake Harris, welcome to the Venue RX podcast. Thank you so much for being here on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, I we were just chatting right before we got on. I am excited about this chat. You have a, a, a fascinating story I can't wait to get into. I'm going to let you share it here in just a second, but I wanted to just to compliment you really quick. Uh, the Haven event space, this website that I'm looking at right now is is beautiful. I mean, it's a great starting point for anyone's journey as they're finding you online. And so um, I want to I just want to shout that out and anyone, you know, who's listening or watching definitely should go out and check out, uh, it's the haveneventspace.com and you can go and look and we'll have links to all that in the, in the description. But Blake, share with me how you got into the events industry. I'm really curious about your personal and, and kind of professional backstory. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for the compliment on the website. Uh, I actually built it myself, which I'd never done. So to hear that it looks good, I used Wix, which is a really nice tool and made it really easy um, as a business owner to to make it and edit it. So, um, so my background, I uh, I am actually 33 years old now. Um, I started my venue journey when I was 27. Um, I had a dream of building a wedding venue after attending. You know, I was at that late 20s age when all my friends were getting married, and I was in all these weddings as a groomsman. I was like man, these spaces are nice. And these these owners must be making bank just to rent this place out for crazy. I'm like, this seems like a really good business. And, you know, pre-pandemic, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And so that kind of, you know, was a, a dream birthed inside me. My wife and I, Abby, uh, had dreams of having a family and wanted to have kids. And, you know, we knew that both of us making six figures in corporate America, that we were going to have to replace her income if she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was a big priority for us before we had kids. And so I was like, man, I got three years to get this done because she said that by the time we're 30, we got to have a kid. So, you know, from 27 to 30, I really hit that ground running and was like, I'm going to really focus on this. And at the time I was working for a pretty large tech company. Um, there was a startup and leading into the pandemic was really, really successful. So I made a pretty good amount of money through my equity in my tech company. And while I watched all my friends there go and buy fast cars and nice watches and big houses, I took everything I had and I dumped it into a building wedding venue. And, you know, I used the resources I had, which was doing research online and reading books and listening to podcasts like this and trying to figure out like, how the heck am I going to do this? Um, I had very limited resources back then. Um, so I kind of had to figure it out as I went, but ultimately, um, in 2019, I found about 40 acres just south of where I lived here in Kansas city. And, um, it, you know, when I stepped on that property, I was like, this is it, this is like, it just felt right, you know? And, um, and I put in an offer and all the pieces fell together and then the pandemic hit and I'm like, okay, now what am I going to do? You know? But like I said, I was working for a tech company and it was like through that pandemic, that company was more and more successful. So my stock got bigger and bigger. And so even though supply chain remains, our supply chain demands and pricing was going up for construction. I was like, I'm still going to press in. I'm still going to invest in this and just, you know, bite the bullet and go because I just know this is what I'm supposed to do. And so ultimately, um, you know, and we waited one year, we ended up starting to do some site work and digging the pond. And then um, in 2021, in March of 2021, we felt like this is the year things are going to slow down, you know, and we can really get this venue going. Um, I had a lot of struggle getting funding. I had a lot of struggle finding people that believed in my vision. 
um, from a banking perspective. You know, we can talk about that a little bit more in detail later. But um, ultimately, I, I found the right place, and uh, we started construction in March of 2021. Opened seven months later in October of 2021, um, and I can tell you a little bit more about the facility and stuff whenever you're ready. So that that was kind of the the quick quick and dirty story of how it came about. That that's incredible, and I I can only imagine. Um, working in tech or a lot of startups during the time of the pandemic, there was kind of this inverse thing that was happening with, you know, events, anything in person, hospitality, restaurants, hotels, travel, that all really took a nosedive. But then a lot of, you know, the tech world was kind of inverse, right? Going up. So I can imagine for you, part part of you is going, oh, this is awesome. Like there's growth here. But then also part of you is going, my dream what's happening over here? That must have been a really crazy kind of maybe even emotional time. Uh, yes, you know, and, and honestly, it just took a lot of faith. I think in the venue industry in general, when you start a wedding venue, a lot of it is built on a foundation of faith and trust and like you're doing the right thing and you just have to like take a deep breath sometimes and be like, it's going to be okay. Like it's going to work and like all the pieces will fall together. Um, and ultimately that's what happened because yeah, it was hard. It was challenging. And I remember laying in bed at night and having that, that sinking feeling in my stomach. It's like, what if no one likes my venue or what if nobody books it? Or what if my prices are too high? Or what if I'm too far away from the city or all these things that were going through my mind. But you know, um, my goal, my first year open was to do 30 weddings and we did 118 weddings our first year open. So um, I would say I was a little bit wrong. Wow. That's amazing. We got to use that as the clip to open this thing because that in itself is such an impressive accomplishment. Um, I, I love it. I'm excited to hear how you did it. Describe for me the venue. For anyone who's listened to the podcast, could you just kind of describe to me the venue, what it looks like? Um, and then we'll kind of dig into more of the pieces of the story. Yeah. The Haven Event Space is a contemporary farmhouse style venue uh, located on 40 acres, about 15 minutes south of the Kansas City metro area. Um, we are on uh, private 40 acres on a paved road, which is really nice. And, you know, we wanted to build that kind of country contemporary field venue to kind of feel a little bit more like a bar dominium, but we didn't want to build a barn. That was really important to us. You know, when you look at our facility, it's got that rustic kind of barn dough feel, but it is a contemporary space with polished concrete floors, exposed steel beams, exposed HVAC. We kind of left some of those contemporary elements to kind of make it feel a little bit more modern. And then we pulled it in that farmhouse vibe by doing whitewashed pine ceilings, um, authentic handmade oak barn doors, things like that. Um, the venue is about 11,000 square feet um, and it is a 5,600 square foot main hall, which holds up to 260 guests comfortably uh, at our farm tables with the big dance floor and all that. Um, we've got an indoor outdoor bar. We've got a 2,500 square foot outdoor party patio with built-in fire pits um, that leads to our outdoor ceremony location, which is over our five acre lake that we dug ourselves. Um, the five acre lake is actually one of the only waterfront venues in Kansas. So we love that. It's got a 30 foot fountain right in the middle. It's a very wow factor as people walk through. Um, and then some of the biggest features of our of, of our uh, of our venue, let me start the door. And then some of the biggest features of our venue are our bridal suite, our groom lounge, and then we have really awesome vendor facilities. You know, being uh, in the industry before as a DJ and doing audio, video, and lighting for a lot of different corporate and business events, uh, I learned that vendors were often overlooked when the spaces were built. So I built a really nice nine-foot garage door into a vendor loading area, gave them private storage and seating for during the event, um, a huge caterer's kitchen with you know, fridge, freezer, sink, and ice machine with tons of prep space for enough room for plated or buffet options. Um, we built a big groom's lounge with two 75-inch flat screens, a custom felted pool table. We've got this awesome neon sign in our groom suite that says it's about to go down. It's six foot wide, so it's a big focal point for us. Um, 
Both of our lounges have built-in bars for the bride and groom's parties. Uh, upstairs on the second floor of the venue is my office and the bridal lounge on the other wing. And the bridal lounge is nearly 700 square foot with 15-foot vaulted ceilings. It's got six LED makeup stations uh, with built-in surround sound in the ceiling, a private dressing room with restroom, hair, and makeup station for the bride. And then my favorite part is it's got a 500 square foot rooftop deck that sits on top of the venue overlooking the lake. And it's got this huge greenery wall with a neon sign that says you're like really pretty, um, the hanging egg chair and just like all the things. It's so extra. It's, you know, we were thinking like, what's the Instagram moment in every space? And so, um, and then lastly, one of my favorite things about our facility is we actually went above and beyond and we play with the senses of all of our guests. So we have really awesome LED lighting. We have really awesome sound systems, all Bose, top of the line. And then my favorite, we actually pipe luxury hotel scent machines into different areas of our venue. So the bridal suite smells really sweet and light. The groom's suite smells really masculine and warm. And then the main area smells like a high-end hotel. Like um, I think we chose one of the hotels down in Florida to, to, to mirror. So the smell of our venue is one of the most popular things that we see. So we have fun with it and we're, we're still adding stuff to it every day, but it's been a blast. Blake, I can say with certainty that I think the only thing better than the actual venue is like your description of it and your passion around. I mean, this is incredible. I feel like I'm there when I'm listening to you. Where did this come from? Like, where did the inspiration? I mean, because you're not, I mean, you came a little bit from the industry, right? You had some of the DJ experiences and things like that. But I mean, where does this, this isn't, this is extremely intentional. Like you didn't just stumble around the property and kind of say, hey, I think this could be good over there. Like you, this was intentional. Did you hire an architect firm? Did you work with like share a little bit how you um, how you got to build this? Yeah, it was um, like I said, it was time. It was a lot of time. It was a lot of late nights sitting in my basement, um, you know, in my office, just kind of putting pencil to paper for me, putting mouse to PowerPoint presentation, and you know, kind of creating my own dream boards, if you will. And I remember going room to room, like this is what I want my bridal lounge to look like, and this is what I want my groom's lounge to look like, and this is what I want the main hall to kind of feel like, and. When I started my process, the first thing I did is I went and found an architect and I remember sitting down in their office and showing them this PowerPoint. This is what I want the feeling of this room and this is what I want the feeling of that room and showing them my vision. And I actually interviewed four different architects because the first three, it just didn't feel right. You know, I was sitting there and I was like, mm, these guys don't get it. Like they're just looking for a job, you know? And then the fourth one, I sat down with a guy and it clicked. You know, he was excited. He was passionate. You could see the spark in his eye. And I was like, this guy is my guy. And actually, and not only has he built my current venue, I've used him on several other projects since because he's just a great architect. And um, so that's kind of how it started. But ultimately, you know, the the answer is it was a culmination of, of time and energy and dreams. You know, I put together everything that I could possibly think of. I said, what have I seen in high-end hotels? What have I seen in other venues? What have I seen in restaurants and, you know, spaces I've been in that are like, wow, those are cool. I love those touchscreen mirrors that you get in hotels sometimes. They're, you know, I love the smell when you walk into the foyer of a Sheridan hotel somewhere. Or, you know, I was like, what are these things that kind of pull on my senses? And what do I remember about the spaces I'm in? And you know, while I'm building the venue for my my clients, the, you know, the, the couple getting married or the corporate event that's happening, I'm also building the venue for the 250 guests that they're bringing. And I want those guests to remember as well. So next time that client says, oh, where's a good venue in Kansas? Or that guest says, where's a good venue in Kansas? They could say, oh, I remember this venue I went to in Lewisburg. It was incredible, you know? And so that's kind of what my mind was thinking when I was designing this place. And the short answer too is like, we've continued adding. Like it wasn't like this the day we opened. 
we've added more every single event. We hear a you know little birdie off in the distance say, oh, I wish there was a clock in this room or, oh, I wish this room had this. And we get feedback and we hear whispers from clients and guests and we go and implement it. You know, like I wasn't content when I opened and said, all right, let's make the money. Like, no, everything I've made over my first couple of years, I've done back into my venue, adding more and more and more to continue to make it better and better and better because I'm not a content person and I'm not going to settle until I have the best there is. And so um, that's kind of where I'm at. And I think I'm almost there. I think I'm finally at the point. My staff is like, please stop, you know, but I, I'm, I'm close. I'm, I feel really good about it. I, I can relate to that. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're constantly moving the the finish line and moving the goalposts. And so um, take take us back. I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to know how you did the events and how you opened that strong Um from from an event side of things, but I'm curious about kind of the flow up to actually opening. So what did you do in terms of, you know, you got the architect firm, um, talk to us a little bit about the funding, you know, what were your steps that led up to actually opening the venue? Sure. Yeah, funding was definitely my most challenging aspect of building my venue because again, we're in the middle of the pandemic and I went to eight different banks. Um, and, you know, here's the thing, and I say this very, you know, um, I try to be humble when I say this, but I had $2 million sitting in a stock account offering the bank. I was like, I need a $1.8 million loan. I literally had more money than that sitting in an account that I was allowing them to use as collateral and nobody would give me money. Nobody. And, um, you know, I just, I just felt like I was defeated. You know, I remember laying down and I, there was tears. There was literally nights where I would cry myself to sleep because I'm like, this is never going to happen. You know, it's not meant to be, I should just give up. And, you know, but I just kept having this voice in the back of my head that said, like, if it was easy, everyone would do it, you know? And that was kind of my mantra is like, there's a reason there's only a handful of high-end venues in the area because it's hard. It's not easy. You know, I'm not just building a Morton building with a concrete floor that's saying, come throw your events here. Like I'm building a high-end, top of the line, one of the highest priced venues in the Kansas City market. Like it's not going to be easy. And so that's kind of what my story was. But ultimately, um, same thing I said about the architect, like after my eighth interview, um, you know, I remember there was this other venue being built, you know, about five miles away from me, ironically, completely different styles. So we're great friends with them, not even competitors because they're so vastly different. Um, and I saw the sign in their yard for what bank they were using. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to call them. So I called the bank and he's like, bro, I'm not going to fund you. You're literally five miles down the road as a competitor, but let me give you the name and number of a guy I think might be able to help referred me to um, the Small Business Development Center here in Kansas, um, which was ultimately a resource that led me to a resource that led me to a bank. Um, you know, so the SBDC for me was what ultimately turned the page. I know they do a lot of, uh, you know, helping people do sales projections or write business plans and find funding. And ultimately I use them for the funding aspect um, and, it, and it worked. And so I found my bank. Um, they gave me the money without blinking. They were a smaller startup bank and they were excited about my project. Let me tell you what, they're really excited about my project today. Um, you know, and when you build a relationship with a bank and you show them, you know, success on the back end, I can call that bank anytime and say, I need this and they will give me anything I want. You know, and we can talk more about what's coming in the future here because I literally did that a few weeks ago and they're like, whatever you want, you tell us what number to put on that paper versus three years ago when people wouldn't give me anything, you know, so it's crazy how that changed. But so found the bank, started construction, found a builder I fell in love with through my architect. Um, you know, and then ultimately just started kind of grinding. And, you know, from a sales perspective, I think kind of transitioning to, transition to that, I was really scared. I had this like preconceived notion in my mind that, you know, I'm going to have to, 
you know, build this place as fast as possible. I have to get open by this fall. Again, we started in March. So I'm like, I have to be open by this fall or I'm not going to be able to afford to make it through the winter. Like I'm not going to be able to afford the mortgage and utilities to make it through the winter. But I was naive. I didn't know what I didn't know, you know? And so I just, I rushed. I rushed my builder. I rushed everything. And frankly, when we opened our first wedding on October 16th, we were not done. Like we needed another three months of construction. We didn't have stalls in our bathroom. We didn't have barn doors up. We didn't have sound in yet. We didn't have a lot of stuff. And in fact, I had a refund most of that wedding because it was so terrible. There was no sod outside. It was mud, but the client was really understanding. It's part of booking a brand new venue, you know, but ultimately, um, you know, we needed more time. And so, you know, now, and if you were to ask me today, what I wish I would have done is I wish I would have understood that, yes, I can start taking bookings as soon as construction starts. And I start collecting those deposits, those non-refundable deposits, and that's what's going to carry me through the winter. I don't need to be doing the weddings. There's no rush, you know, and that's the lesson I learned. So what I did, Jonathan, is I took that PowerPoint I told you about earlier, and I started using a tool that we're using here today called Zoom. And I hopped on Zoom calls with anyone that would give me time of day that, you know, someone submitted an inquiry on my website. Great. Let's schedule a Zoom tour because we're under construction. So I'd hop on a Zoom call and I'd build that relationship. I'd talk to that client. I'd get to know them. What's your dream? Tell me about your event. How'd you guys meet? You know, I'd build that connection with them. And then I'd share that PowerPoint. I'd say, all right, I know you want to see the building, but here's what it's going to look like. Here's the renderings of the outside, the inside, the bridal suite, the group suite. Here's all the amenities. I walked through each of the slides that show the light fixtures and the furniture, all the stuff I was going to pick out for it. Again, all dreams at this point, but I knew it was going to be true. And I sold that. That's what I sold was the vision. You know, I cast a vision and I sold people on a Zoom call and I was taking $5,000 deposit after $5,000 deposit over these Zoom calls. By the time I opened October 16th, so from March to October, I had sold 60 weddings, 60. And I had only been taking bookings for six months. Now, granted, we were coming out of the pandemic and it was, there was a backlog of people, but that was nothing. I was double my goal before I even had a building to show people. And so that was crazy. And then ultimately, like I said, within our first year open from October to October, we did 118 events um, and generated over a million dollars in revenue our first year open, uh, which was crazy. My account was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, legal, what's happening here? That's incredible. Yeah, I know. I know. Blake, I, I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you this later, but I'm afraid we're going to run out of time to kind of talk about the ops stuff. Because I want to ask you about marketing. I want to ask you about some of these things. But I'm curious. I just want to kind of take a piece out of this real quick. What don't you do at your venue? Like, what things have you delegated? Because I think if someone comes on, and, and the, the reasoning for this question is, if someone is listening to this show right now and they're like, gosh, Blake is charismatic. He's selling these people on the Zoom calls. Like, that's his superpower. He's showcasing the vision of what the property is going to be. Maybe they're not that charismatic person. So maybe they need to go hire that charismatic person. Right. Or, but but how do you approach? So if you're the charisma, you're the vision caster, you're out there driving, you're kind of the driving force of this thing. How are you approaching hiring the people that need to fill in the gaps where you can't be because you are driving that vision and you are driving, you know, sales and marketing and some of those things? It's huge. That's huge. Um, you know, and to answer your question in the beginning, I was the everything, um, but I was still working a full-time job and I very quickly got burnt out. Um, you know, so about one month before our first wedding, I remember turning to my wife because my wife has never been involved in the venue, ironically. Like most people think, oh, you know, probably the woman's running the venue. Not here. Like my wife was a nurse and she wanted to be a mom. So, you know, the goal was to replace her income. Funny story, side note, the month we opened, October, my wife was like, I'm pregnant. I'm like, you literally did this on purpose. I know you did. So, <laughs> 
ironically, the month we opened, we found out we were pregnant. But in April, when she had our son, she was able to go home and never go back to work after maternity leave. And I was able to stay on full time at my venue and never go back after paternity leave. So within one and a half years of my venue being open, I replaced both of our six figure incomes, which was crazy. So that's kind of a little bit of the dream there that happened. But to get back to your question, I knew I needed to hire someone. But what I did differently than what you're saying is I actually didn't find someone that was my weaknesses because and again, trying to sound humble, you know, the reality of my life, my situation is there really are no weaknesses for me. Like I can do construction, I can do marketing, I can clean, I can, you know, I can decorate, I can design, I can sell. Like that's just me as a person. I'm one of those people that kind of do whatever I put my mind to. So I wanted to find another me. You know, I said I need to duplicate myself because if I'm not there, I need someone I can trust. So I went out and posted the job. And fortunately, I had been a corporate recruiter for about 15 years, my personal career. So I'm really good at hiring. So I went and found um, Taylor. Taylor was running a wedding magazine in Kansas City, doing all the sales and marketing for a wedding magazine. So she was in the industry. She knew the, knew the people. Um, and she had a passion of being in the venue side of things versus the, the marketing side. So Taylor and I hit it off and we became best friends. Taylor's 10 years younger than me. So she's, you know, kind of that younger generation, um, you know, early twenties at the time. Taylor started the month before we opened and she's been here since we opened. Today, Taylor started as my assistant, moved into the venue coordinator and today it's my venue manager. So she actually runs the venue without me today um, because anything I can do, Taylor can do too. And that's the beauty of it. I trust her wholeheartedly with everything. Um, she knows the technology. She knows the how the construction was done. She knows the insides and outside of the sales, the relationship development. Um, since then, we also hired a facilities manager, Melinda, who now does all of our cleaning for us, doing as many events a year as we were. It didn't make sense to have a cleaning company coming in and flipping our building. It got to be very expensive to pay them every night. So I hired a full-time employee that just, that's all she does is does cleaning, inventory, and bar stocking, uh, you know, toilet paper, paper towels, food, all the kind of stuff we need. Um, we don't have a kitchen, but our food, like our staff, we feed all our staff every event. Um, and then I also hired a property manager. My property manager's name is Jack, and Jack is responsible for the 40 acres, the landscaping, uh, maintenance, and touch-ups around the building. And, you know, I'm so busy. He also manages my other property, my house, and, you know, all that stuff. So having those people in place. And then we um, started with a few, but over the first year and a half, hired about 15 part-time employees as well. And those are bartenders and barbacks. And we paid all our employees really, really well from the beginning. So bartenders started at $20 an hour plus tips. And barbacks started at $15 an hour plus tips, which those are all high schoolers. So um, anyone over 21, I've trained how to bartend. I'd never bartended. I had to figure it out myself. I watched YouTube videos and learned it and made it happen. And today you can see me bartending in almost every wedding because I love it and I love meeting the guests. Um, but that's kind of how our staff came into fruition. And what's been awesome is every single person on my staff has been with us since we opened. None of them have left. None of them have been recent hires. Um, they're all like those consistent, like the core 20 are like, we've all been there since the beginning because we treat them well, we pay them well. I, I respect them and, and honor them and listen to them. And, um, you know, that's just a great partnership. And so it's, it's really made our venue quite successful from a staffing standpoint. Within today, this year, we did add full benefits as well for our full-timers. So now we, we're moving to year three. So we added on PTO, maternity leave, healthcare, all that stuff. Cause I left my job. I needed to add that stuff for me too. So as a business owner, we decided to offer it to full-timers, which was a nice value add for them as well. That's huge. That's so huge. Um, gosh, there's so many different ways we could take this. I'm curious. I'm curious with the the team, the staff you you have there. Our industry is notorious for turnover. I think we talk to a lot of the different venues. You know, they'll say, "I'm struggling with the labor market." You just can't find good people. I think is something that a lot of folks would say. 
what were some of the things that you did to make sure those initial hires were going to be rock solid so that you didn't need to either let them go or, you know, you didn't have issues within the team uh, as, as you grew it over the year and a half that you've been working together? That's a good question. And honestly, um, it's one of the riskiest parts of any company, you know, coming from the recruiting and human resources background. I knew that, um, you know, I had to trust my skill set when I made my first hire with Taylor. And ultimately, again, you have to trust your gut and it felt right. And it was a great hire, um, you know, with the other people and, and even with Taylor, I remember sitting Taylor down. Taylor was making like 50 grand a year at her other job, which in Kansas City was a pretty decent pay for a 22 year old at the time. You know, and I remember sitting down with her and being like, Taylor, I don't even know if I could pay $15 an hour part-time right now. Like, you know, we, we don't open it for a month. I've got these weddings booked, so I've got some money in the account, but like, I don't know what it's going to look like over the first year. You know, Abby's pregnant now. Like, what are we going to do? You know, um, and ultimately I said, but if you trust me, I promise, I promise I'll take care of you. You know, I was like, you will always come first. You know, if I choose to hire you, you know, you will come before me. I hope you know that. And she took the leap and she took the pay cut. And within two months, she was up to salaried at 45,000 salaried from 15 hourly. And then within a year, she was at 55 salaried plus commission. So today, Taylor makes close to 70 grand a year as my venue manager. Um, you know, but the answer to your question is how did I make sure? Um, the answer, Jonathan, is I don't take any pay. I mean, I'm required by government to take a reasonable pay for my taxes. So I take $1,000 every two weeks. So, you know, I make $24,000 a year at my venue. I could be making $200,000, but that means my employees would be making not what I'm paying them. All of my employees are salaried. All of them make over 50. All of them have full benefits. That's how I have good people because, and I, tr and I give them flexibility. You know, if they want to come in at 11 or noon, great, come in at 11 or noon. I, as long as you get your work done, I don't care. You know, we're not there every day. We're friends. You know, we built a good relationship and, you know, I'm not a corporate -y kind of venue. I'm very laid back and our clients feel that. And I think that's what's made us successful. But um, I had to sacrifice my own bank account for that in the meantime. And, you know, the business is paying me back the money that I put into it. So I'm getting repayments from the loan I gave for the down payments and all that. So I'm still getting income myself, but not on payroll. You know, so from a payroll perspective, I'm I'm kind of eating it right now. But I know in five years, because everyone knows if you can make it five years starting a small business, you're good. Yeah. Um, I'm like, let's just let's just invest for five years and then I'll then I'll go live on my six figures, you know, but I don't need that right now. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm willing to make that sacrifice and the venues I've seen fail, it's the ones that aren't willing to do that. They're trying to yeah. cash year one and that's you can't, you know. Yeah, they take it. Yeah. And it's I think it's tricky, especially in this in this market we're having, but there's always, there's always space, I think, uh, in the venue that is going to do budget weddings and offer budget options and then luxury. Right. And I think the middle kind of, you have to decide where in the middle. And if you are in the middle, that's a, that's a kind of a dangerous road. Sounds like you've chosen to kind of be on more of the luxury high end side. How did you decide that you wanted to do that? And then what does your packages what do your packages look like what do you offer is it a blank canvas venue is it inclusive do you do catering share with me a little bit more about um what it's like to get married there actually yeah well when we started um again i, I laid a bed at night concerned like am i priced too high you know i didn't know the market i'd looked at other venues and i saw what they were priced at and i chose to price myself really low so on a saturday when we opened i was only charging six thousand dollars to rent our space um, which was really low. Uh, but that's what booked me 60 weddings, you know, because my prices were so low. So I learned over my first year that those were not the types of brides that I was trying to attract. I learned those were my DIY weddings. Those are the brides that had like 10 and 12 and $15,000 budgets that were stretching their budget to get married for $6,000 at the Haven. 
Whereas today my prices are at 10.5 on Saturday, so nearly double. Um, and my clients are spending 50, 60, $70,000 and I'm just a chunk of their budget. Now, keep in mind, I'm only the, as a venue, I provide the venue and I provide the bar because in Kansas we're required to have a liquor license. And so we have the liquor license and do the alcohol. So I make a large amount of money on my bar. My average wedding package for 150 to 200 guests will be a seven to $9,000 bar package. So on top of their 10, five, I'm making 18 to 20 grand on every wedding that comes today. Even my overhead there is like two grand, you know, so it's super low with payroll and, you know, utilities and all that. Um, so that's kind of where the money's made. So to answer your question, it was more like I learned, I started small and I had room to grow because I didn't want to position myself too high and not be able to afford it and then have to come backwards. So I worked my way up and I learned what type of client I was looking for. Um, and I learned that the DIYs weren't really our vibe. And I learned that the clients that had the bigger budget that had the day of coordinators and the planners and all that was more uh, beneficial for my space. Even though I carry a lot of staff, most weddings I have five, six, seven staff on site doing bartending, bar back, venue manager, venue assistant, and then me, the owner, I'm at most weddings. So we got a lot of people, but we're not we're not necessarily doing everything. Um, so you asked what we do at our venue. So we get the venue, the space, you get all day, 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. You get the bar package for how many hours you pay for. We only do open bar. So it's about five to $6 per hour per guest for open bar. So for a standard bar package, it'd be like 35 bucks a guest for the night if you did like a five-hour bar package. Um, and then we provide, um, you know, all the amenities in our venue are built in. We don't have any add-ons. So, you know, lighting, sound, um, outdoor yard games, fire pits, golf carts, um, you know, the bridal and groom's lounge, you know, all that's glassware, all that stuff's included. We also have a whole inventory of house decor that's for free uh, for all of our clients for weddings. They can use that. We buy it off other clients, things that we love and add it to our decor. Um, and basically that's it. We're the venue and the bar. Um, and then they would bring in their own caterer, their own floral, their own DJ, their own planner, their own photographer, all that stuff. Um, we don't do any of that in-house. We have the spaces for those vendors to work out of, uh, but we don't get involved in it. Um, and that's basically, we've just chosen to make it simple and do venue and bar. So we know that's where the people are. Yeah, that's huge. I, I like that because, you know, I think there's something to be said for the simplicity that an all-inclusive venue gives. You know, you just kind of write a, a big check and then it's hypothetically, it's all there. But I think that clients in today's market, they want choices and they want more than just like a starch, a veggie and a, a protein. You know, yeah. They, yeah. they really want to be able to express their creativity and with a venue like yours, you have so much cool stuff built in and so many awesome spaces that they can transform into their own unique vision and 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 how how that looks. So that makes total sense. Do you have one of, the, one of the things too that we do is we have a preferred vendor list. So over the first couple of years, I cultivated a lot of relationships with other vendors and I found the, the people that I liked and I built relationships with them. So I send a lot of clients um, to those businesses. So when you book with me, you get a list of about 50 different businesses that I recommend. And I require every one of those businesses to give my clients some sort of a discount for being a Haven client. So the florist, you get 15% off just because you're getting married at the Haven. And here's three floral options to choose from. And here's three photographers and here's five DJs and two caterers and you know, all this. So there's tons of options. So the clients get to choose, but like they're choosing mine because they get the discounts. And so I'm still having my hand on who those clients are choosing but I'm not like controlling them, you know? So they get that semblance of control. They get the choices they like, the all-inclusive feel, but they're actually going and booking them themselves, you know? So I'm kind of doing the work on the back and a big one for us is shuttles. Like I have shuttle services and hotels 
already established for you. If you want them, just go check the box and call the lady and, and put your card down. Like, you know, I've done the homework. I've done the preparation, but you know, I'm not forcing you to use them, you know? Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. How, how did you market? So this is kind of this whole other front side of things. I understand, you know, anyone who submitted a lead, but could you tell me a little bit more about kind of the, the tech side of your business? Yeah. Beautiful website. You already said you built it on Wix. Are you using like a CRM system? Uh, what are you doing for marketing? Are you on wedding wire, the non, all the different places? Share some of that. All the things. As a venue, you have got all the things. The only marketing avenue that I have never pursued and won't pursue, and I'll tell you why, is in-person wedding shows. Um, I, as a venue, don't feel a value in going to wedding shows. Um, and there's a lot of them around my market. Um, because as a venue, I feel like most of the time, my space sells itself and I sell my space. And if I can't get people in my space or with me, then there's no point, you know? So I'm not going to waste the money trying to drive them to a booth because the pictures can only do so much. Like I need them in the space. So that's the reason I've done that. But yes, not wedding wire. We're on the premium top of the top of all that huge return on investment. I mean, I pulled my numbers um, for, for you guys. And um, my first year on not wedding wire, I booked 32 weddings out of my 118, 32 were from non wedding wire. So someone may sit there and say, well, it's $1,200 a month. Yeah, but I make 20 grand on a wedding. So that means two weddings and the other 30 were all gravy. So what, what's the question here? You know, like it's, it's an investment, you know, um, Google AdWords and Google keywords through Wix. They have amazing tools where you can pay little upcharges through the website for them to allow you to build in keywords to your website. So, you know, Kansas city wedding venue and barn wedding venue and country venue and like all these things that, you know, I wanted people to find when they search. If you go type in on Google wedding venue in Kansas, like we come up because of the way I built our website. So Google AdWords, Google Keywords, Facebook marketing. In the beginning, I was doing a ton of sponsored ads on Facebook and Instagram. So I would have a coming soon with the rendering of the front of our building and like Kansas City's newest premier wedding venue coming soon. Click here to schedule a tour, you know, and I would be running those ads like crazy. And I did tons of Zoom tours off of our Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, and then obviously your tried and true method of word of mouth. You know, you got a lot of people, big network, um, and you talk about it and you get people excited. You build a hum. Um, one of the things I really quickly realized is that in my market in Kansas City, there's a very large wedding vendor community. Um, there's tons of people in groups that are meeting on a weekly, monthly, you know, biannual basis uh, that are basically you know, getting together. So by putting myself in those environments and introducing myself and building relationships with those vendors, they did a lot of work for me, you know? And so connecting with them was huge and then finding out who I liked and who I didn't like and who meshed well with my space. And, you know, it was just really helpful. So those are my big avenues. And then, you know, obviously there was print ads and stuff. I'm in all the wedding magazines and stuff here locally because it's, you know, thousand bucks a year to be in the magazine. And I can't say I've ever booked a wedding from it, but as a top venue, my client better be able to find me anywhere they look. And that's kind of my philosophy. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. But I say in the beginning, the, the Google ads and the Facebook ads were my biggest, like kind of that cultivation that got me really running. So you know. got it. Blake, it's interesting. I, I like what you said about wedding wire and the not, but that, that viewpoint is different than a lot of folks that I've heard heard say about way why they're not right and and honestly just not even them just online directories and the the idea the 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 conversation goes and it's something that i've even seen at the venues that we operate is like they give you so many leads but some of those leads may not convert or may not even know that that you exist because they just kind of did kind of a group like a cluster submit right. have you seen that do you do you care i mean it sounds like as long as you're hitting that top of the funnel yeah piece 
it's working. What's your take on that? I don't care um, because, you know, again, Jonathan, my philosophy as a business owner is every lead is an opportunity. And just because that opportunity isn't necessarily a warm lead, maybe it is, you know, it's a warm lead either way if they're submitting their info, but maybe they don't click on the Haven. They just, especially Wedding Wire. We all know Wedding Wire, when Wedding Pro bought Wedding Wire, Wedding Wire was their negative thing was they sent out the, the cluster leads. So yeah, we get a lot, but at the end of the day, like, you can build templates into them. So it's, you know, I have my full-time employee, Taylor, like she gets all the leads every day and within 10 minutes of receiving every lead, which yeah, is constant. It's it's constant, like 20 a day, you're getting these leads, but it's better than zero a day. You know, if you're not signed up, you're getting none, you know? So yeah, 20 times a day, she goes in, opens it up, clicks the template, clicks send. Okay, yeah, maybe only one out of every 100 convert, but who cares? That's a $20,000 wedding. Like I'm paying an employee full-time to do it. If I was doing it myself, which I was in the beginning, I guess I never really got to the point where I got annoyed. But again, like if if my goal is to generate business, why would I be annoyed at even the potential just because it's not the way I wish my leads were coming through? So I've heard that complaint before too, but I think that people just need to kind of check their heart there and understand like it's an opportunity. And maybe you maybe if you're not seeing any conversions there at all, that maybe it's something on your end and not on the leads end. You know, if if it's a zero percent conversion rate for me. I, you know, I'm seeing a lot larger of a conversion rate, you know, so, and even on, you know, not wedding wear, I'm probably only at like a nine or 10% conversion rate, but again, overall, like that's still worth it for yeah. some month. Like I would pay 1200 bucks for one lead if it was going to convert, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. That's a really good point. I, and I like that. I like that perspective because it's a, it is, you're looking at it in a macro sense instead of like, Hey, the hundred leads that I got this month, one of them didn't convert or I didn't get one. Well, next month you might get seven. Is seven out of a hundred great? Nah, maybe not, but still it's seven. So, well, then you, you know, me, I ask every client when they come in and first thing I say when they walk in the door is welcome out. Have you been here before? No. Oh, how'd you hear about us? Every single person says Google or the not every single one of them. So if they've never been there and that's how they found us, it's either Google or the not. So like, that's where I'm spending my money. Like, are there things that you've learned in the past year to to learn to sell your venue better or does a lot of it come from just kind of your gut because i can tell a lot of it is like gut charisma like it's you it's who you are and, and actually i love i don't think i don't think it was on i don't think we were recording but i want to say it i want to recap it because it was so powerful but you were like um no i think you did say it you you said you know the people who are in my area like the venues that are in my area we're not really competing because most of the people they're coming for you they're coming for taylor they're coming for the beauty of the property you're not on a like a apples to apples comparison you know no you're absolutely right i i think that that is the huge thing i mean a lot of people when they say they book our venue if you go look at our google reviews it's the people it's the response time it's how they were toured it's how we were there for them throughout the process it's the quick responses to their emails i mean we have like a 15 minute response time for our emails like we track that because it's important you know, I'm, I hear venues saying, you see, oh, you know, I see these automated emails. Please excuse our tardiness. It's wedding season. Like BS, like that is us. That's just laziness. You know, like anybody has time to pull their phone out and respond to an email. You're choosing not to, and you're letting your clients suffer. And, you know, you got to remember like the most important part of their wedding is where they're getting married. It's the venue. It's the most expensive part. And so if you're not going to treat them with the fact that you're the most expensive, they expect first class service from the venue. That if you're not giving that to them, you don't deserve them. You know, and so that's why we win them because we do give that to them, you know? And so, um, and our competitors that we eat their lunch month after month after month, and we see 
you know, all these clients that are like, oh yeah, we're going to tour at XYZ venue down the road. And then two weeks later they come back. We're like, we're going to choose you. We're like, why'd you choose us? We know you were going to the other three venues that are around us. And they're like, honestly, like we just, we felt like you guys, it was more personal. It was felt better. You know, I don't think anyone's ever come back and said, I loved your sound system. That's why I booked you, you know? No, it's because they trust us, you know? And that's, you know, you got to remember, like if you're going to spend a lot of money, that's, that's a relationship driven. Yeah, got to be got to be worth it for them, um, Blake. We I I want to have you back on because we could have gone so much deeper in so many different topics. But I'm I'm curious what's next for you guys. We'll wrap up with that, and then I'm curious just your personal favorite and least favorite part of of venue ownership. But what's what's next for you guys? What direction are you heading? In? Are more venues on the horizon? What are you up to? Yeah, good question. So actually, last week we just went under contract on venue number two. So. Uh, big things coming for the Haven. We're buying an existing venue from someone that is selling their venue. Um, and this will be fun. You know, maybe Jonathan, we connect back in about a year uh, because their venue was quote unquote, not succeeding. Um, it's the, one of the most beautiful venues I've ever seen. I have no idea why. Um, you know, all I can think is the way they're running it. And so let's talk back in a year and see like at the Haven and, and my method and my charisma and my business processes change this venue because I, I have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be good. Um, but they're selling this thing for pennies on the dollar because they aren't making any money. And they just did a $2 million renovation last year. This place is gorgeous. I can't wait to show it to you. But um, yeah, we close in, in like 45 days. And so we're going to take over right away and we're going to we're gonna run hard and we're going to see if we can bring this struggling venue back to life. Um, it'll be a fun challenge, a little different than my first time designing from the ground up. But um, I want to see. So amazing. Blake, I got to come out to Kansas City. I gotta I gotta film this thing at at the 50 day mark, right? Let's do an in-person thing and then let's do like a little time lapse thing. And then over the 12 months, you know, let's see, let's see where you are. That'd be that'd be fun. We haven't done it. It will be fun. And you asked me my favorite and least favorite part of being in the venue industry. Um, you know, favorite part I think is definitely the people. I love the vendor relationships. I love the clients. I love getting to work with them. Least favorite part, um, you know, if I'm being honest, um, and, and this isn't even a negative for me, but it, it is a negative. It takes a lot of time. You know, being in the venue industry, uh, I easily work over 100 hours a week, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I, um, you know, I've had to make a cognizant effort to to shut my phone off, to put my phone down and trust that my employees can do it because I want to be at every wedding. As the owner, I want to be there. I know I'm the face. I know I'm the heart. And so, I, you know, just my personality makes it really challenging for me. So, but that's the hardest part for me. I wouldn't even say it's a negative, but it's the most challenging part is the time. Um, and I'm, you know, between us, I'm really concerned about number two and how I'm going to split my time because the Haven is my baby. And as my new one, Lincoln is what it's going to be called when the Lincoln opens, like how is, how is Blake going to be in two places at once? You know, so it's going to be very challenging and I'm going to have some learning, growing and developing to do personally over the next 12 months as well. So um, again, I think it's going to be a fun journey and I'm excited to see where we go. Well, I'm excited to track with you. And this has been such a fun interview. Blake, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. For all of our podcast listeners, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you? What's the best place to connect? They want to um, talk to you, talk to the venue. Tell me. Absolutely. They can absolutely hit up our website at thehaveneventspace.com. Um, we're also on Instagram. 
at the Haven Event Space and on Facebook. And then if they're interested in learning more about how I built my venue, the Haven Event Space, I have a YouTube channel under the Haven uh, that is how to build a wedding venue. It's a five-part series uh, from groundbreaking all the way through a one-year open um, and all the steps along the way with progress updates on construction and all the numbers and all the different amenities and things I threw in. Um, you know, we didn't get into all the CRMs and everything, but I talk all in detail on that YouTube channel about all that. So if they want to learn, they can go there. Uh, and then I love when people come to our venue. So if any other venue owners ever want to come out to the space and shadow a wedding with us, we love that too. We do that all the time for people uh, because that would have been my dream when I was building and there just wasn't the option. So if I can be that for someone else, we love that. Oh yeah. I love that. I love that. Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been awesome. And, uh, I'm excited to, to track with you and, and see how the Lincoln comes comes along, comes about. And um, yeah, let's we're definitely gonna stay in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time.